Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you've got your uh, Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, We're going to continue our series called Real Faith. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And go to page 1032, and you will find right where you need to be, uh, 1 John chapter 3. And if you're not used to navigating the Bible, when you get to that page, you'll see two columns. I think it's on the left-hand side of the pew Bible. Uh, Two columns. You'll see big numbers like large font. That's the chapter number. And then you, if you look in between the sentences, you'll see uh, little numbers. Those are verses and sort of kind of, kind of, like, kind of like an address. You're trying to find your way uh, through, the, uh, through the Bible. The chapters and verses uh, do help us. I grew up in Hong Kong, China, and in Hong Kong, uh, you, especially when I was growing up there, you really have to have a discerning eye for what's real and what is fake or counterfeit. Uh, you, you, I could take you to a street market and uh, you could see uh, shirts, brand name shirts or watches, brand name watches that were uh, very good copies of the original. And I could, we, I could hook you up with that. And uh, in a lot of cases, no one would know that that wasn't a Ralph Lauren shirt or that wasn't a Rolex watch that you were wearing. Um, and and when, you're, when you're shopping in Hong Kong, you, you kind of have to maintain that discerning eye because you could spend a lot of money on something that is just a copy. It's, it's, it's not the real uh, deal. It's important that we have a discerning eye. Sometimes we can have embarrassing moments when, we, when, our, when our eye doesn't really capture what the reality of a situation is. Going to a friend's house for dinner. Got invited over. I was just driving up uh, their driveway. Uh, I, I was impressed by their impeccable landscaping and their green lawns without a single weed in them. I get in the house and I ask him, man, what are you doing to your lawn? I mean, I'm, I'm an aspiring landscaper. I mean, t- what, what product are you putting on? I'm just throwing all these ideas. And he's kind of chuckling. Oh, yeah, use that, use that, use that. And it wasn't until I walk out in the backyard and step on the grass do I realize it's all fake grass. There's not a real blade of grass on his entire property. Um, it's like, oh, man, I mean, it's, a little, it's a little bit embarrassing. So, it, it, you know, it, it's helpful to have a discerning eye to discern what is real and, and what is counterfeit or fake. And so I'm just going to help us grow in that, in that area today, give you a little test, going to start you out easy, going to put some pictures on the screen, one's going to be real, one's going to be fake, and see if you can pick out which one's the counterfeit, which one's the authentic. Uh, we'll start you out easy. Here's an Izod Lacoste uh, you know, a brand, a trademark, the, the little alligator there. Crocodile, um, is that real or is this the real trademark? <laughs> Told you I'd start you off for a little easy here. So, okay, okay now, you're, now you're into it. Okay, here, here's a $10 bill. Is this a real $10 bill or is this a real $10 bill? Now, the one left is the counterfeit because it, what gives it away is that little stripe there. You, you ever kind of given someone a, a bill at the, at the grocery store and they take a pen out and they mark it? That pen actually causes a starch in paper to, to rise up and there is, the starch is not there in, in real bills. And so uh, if, it, if it actually shows color, it's, it's counterfeit. So the one on the left is a counterfeit. The one on the right is the real. Here, here's, here's a pair of Rolex watches. Which one's the real one? That's a pretty decent copy. The one on the left is the, is the fake one. The one on the right is, is the real one. Now, this next one's going to take a real discerning eye. Here we go. <laughs> is that the real Brian Candelo, or is that the real Brian Candelo? <laughs> it's a toss-up, and now I know you cannot unsee that, so take it off the screen, please. 
We're in this series, Real Faith, and, and we called it Real Faith because John, a disciple of Jesus, uh, John, he, he was a disciple of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sort of passes him off to Jesus, uh, and, you know, behold, the Lamb of God takes the sin, the, the sin of the world away, and, and so John goes after Jesus, and John is a disciple of Jesus, and he eventually becomes an apostle of Jesus, and in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, we saw with our own eyes. We touched with our hands this, this, living, this, this living Christ. And, and he heard and he saw. He had shared meals with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. He saw the miracles. So he's, a, he's an eyewitness. And he is laying out what real faith looks like. And as we get to chapter 3, I'm going to read a portion of the chapter. What you're going to see as I read here is that real faith is authenticated by a love for God and a love for one another. He's going he's gonna to talk about that, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that means for us. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 uh, says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children... Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. This is God's holy word. You've kind of picked up a theme here. John is this theme of loving God and this new commandment of loving one another. And John is an echo of Jesus, and John writes about this in his gospel. Uh, John, uh, John 13, verses 34 and 35, uh, I'll read it for us. Jesus talking, saying, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now get this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This love for one another is going to be so unique, it's going to be so shocking that the world is going to, that, that's got to be a disciple of Jesus because this is a unique feature of, of a disciple of Christ. They love each other. Now, if that is the case, which it's Jesus, so it's the case, uh, then, then what, how do we do that? How, how, what is that love? What is that love and what's it look like? 
And that's really the question I think that that John is going after here. He's laying it out for us and talking to us about about, about loving well. And and he tells stories and he sort of weaves truth in the stories to help answer that question. How could we love one another in such a way that that the world sees that that, that we are followers of Jesus? And and, and what might this love look like and and, and, and how is it defined? And we're going to just kind of look at this real quickly. Um, and, and begin with uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, because really the, the, the beginning of the thought is there uh, in answering the question. John begins this chapter by saying, so what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Here's what I want you to notice. Great love lavished on us. This word lavished is not a word we use very often. In fact, I, I, I think the only time I use that word is when I'm looking at a text like this one. It's not a very common word. And so we, we may not know the, the definition very well, but to, to lavish something is just to, is to go above and beyond. It's, it's extravagant. It's luxurious. It's over the top. The opposite of to lavish is to withhold or to hoard. To, to lavish... You, you ever seen a kid having a, like a pancake and they have the syrup and they're going to pour the syrup on their pancake um, they, they just pour if, if you're if, as a parent I know that that everything in you wants to intervene but if you were not to intervene you just let them pour syrup what kids typically do is they pour the syrup on the pancake and they cover the entire pancake and then it flows off the pancake and in almost a wasteful way it begins to fill the empty area in the plate and they will treat that plate like it's a bowl and they will fill it to the brim with the syrup and, and you, you might come to the conclusion, that what, what a waste of it. I mean, I, that, that, you just don't do that. Well, God did that. He poured out in excess. He was extravagantly pouring out his love. He went over the top. He went, went in a luxurious fashion, almost a decadent generosity. He lavished on us his love. And we are his children. The, the word lavish comes from the French. It, it literally means, in the French, it means to, to be in a deluge of rain. It's, you ever have one of those rainstorms where you're trying to get from the car to a, the front door and... It doesn't matter how fast you move, you're going to get saturated and soaked. It's just, there's just no hope. It's just, you're just going to get soaked. That's, that's lavished, completely saturated, soaked. And what John is getting at here, he's saying, I want you to see something. I want you to see something. See how great the love of the Father is lavished on us in excess Almost wasteful love he has poured out on us. And when we experience his love, that's when breakthrough happens. Paul gets at this in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then... You will, be, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If you're, if you're kind of doing the inductive Bible study thing here and you, you pose the question, when will I be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God? 
Paul answers that question in the previous statement. He says, when you have an experience, when you have encounters with the love of Christ, though it's too great to get your head around to understand fully. What John is saying here is that we need experiences. We need our own experiences and understanding of the Father's love. That he would lavish his love on us. That he would in excess soak us and saturate us with his heart, his daddy heart for you. And even as I'm saying that, by the way, when that happens, when that love gets past our brains, say, yeah, I know that's true, and actually gets into our hearts, breakthrough happens. But some of us in the room are, are doing this. For those of you from Oregon, this is an umbrella. We don't see these too often around here. Some of you are doing this. It's dumping rain. God's pouring out his love. And you are just yab-butting your way through the whole thing. Yeah, but, see, you don't know me. Yeah, yeah but you, you don't know I'm on my second marriage, my fourth marriage. Yeah, but you don't know about the addiction. Yeah, but you don't know about my record. Yeah, but, but you, you don't know about my, my struggle with porn. Yeah, but, but... And you're deflecting this generous, extravagant, luxurious love that the Father is pouring out. And you're just letting it bounce off because you think somehow your behavior is, is going to keep you from allowing his love to be experienced by you. In fact, all of hell is hoping that's the case. Because what hell fears most is followers of Jesus Christ putting down their umbrellas and receiving the Father's love and having that breakthrough, experiencing the great love of the Father and experiencing the fullness of life that everyone else is chasing with purchases and travel and experiences and food and they're trying to fill their life and all of that, they're, trying to, they're, they're, de they're deflecting and all of hell is afraid that you and I might experience his love. And so the condemning thoughts come, the, the thoughts about how we fall short. And like good Oregonians, we need to get rid of our umbrellas and receive the Father's love because you can't give what you haven't received. Friends, you will struggle to love one another well as Jesus has invited us to do until you first allow his love to get past your defenses and your yeah buts, and let him pour out the pancake syrup in excess. And it'll feel wrong. It'll feel over the top, too extravagant, hard to believe. And, and, and when you understand that it is hard to believe, when you understand that he sees you and values you and calls you his kid, it's, it's mind-blowing. And this wonder erupts from you. And sometimes it's this emotion that overtakes you. Stop fighting it and just receive. You, you have a God who loves you, likes you, 
calls you his son or daughter, and he sees past all the stuff that you and I would hold up as to reasons why he shouldn't love us. And perhaps what we need more than anything is to simply sit in his presence and receive the Father's love. When's the last time you've done that? Just, I'm entering your presence, Father, and I just want to receive. Because that's when breakthrough happens. That's when the fullness of life and power of God is experienced. And we can't give away what we haven't received. That's how we love well. By first receiving the Father's love. John continues in verse 11 of chapter 3. He says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. What, no, okay, where, where's he going with... I mean, John's like 90. You say, ever, ever this epistle and gone, he's kind of like all over the map here. He says some pretty strong things, like he's losing his filter. Where's he, where's he going? What, he's he's right, on, right on task here. Here's what he's saying. Resist the urge to commit fratricide. Fratricide is, is the act of killing your own family. A fratricide in, in the military, is, it's the accidental shooting of someone on your, your, on your side. Some of you may remember the name, Pat Tillman. Tillman played football at ASU. Went on to play for the Arizona Cardinals. Post 9-11, this urge within him arose that he needed to just step forward for his country, so he enlisted in the U.S. Army, went to Afghanistan. And the news came out that he was, uh, his life was taken in a firefight. At first it came out that it was with the enemy. Then it was discovered, the sad, sad news, that actually it was a case of mistaken identity, that actually it was U.S. forces shooting at one another. And Tillman lost his life in that firefight. Cain and Abel, Cain is, is he's seeing Abel, Abel is doing what, what is righteous and, and Cain is not and Cain is filled with, with jealousy and envy and, and he, not accidentally, intentionally takes his brother's life. And what John is getting at here is we, friends, we gotta resist the urge to have our eyes focused on the, the shortcomings of one another so much so that we would take pot shots at one another. John says that, you know, that, you know it, it, don't be surprised that the world hates you because of your righteousness. What he's getting at here is that you are going to call things evil that the world calls good. And you're going to call things good that the world calls evil. And with that will come pressure. And sometimes that outside pressure on, on, the, on the family of God can be intense. And friends, we don't need internal pressure when there's external pressure. We need one another. So we have to, if we're going to love well, if we're going to embrace this commandment that Jesus has given to us that actually proves that we're his disciples, then, then, then you know what? When the urge to gossip comes, we, we need to be silent because we want to build up and not tear down. We, we, when, the, when the urge comes to write that, that letter bomb that's going to be delivered via email, that, that's not going to build up, it's going to tear down. You should resist that urge. It doesn't mean we can't have the hard conversations. It, just, it doesn't mean that you know, it's just that we kind of avoid sweep it all in a rug. No. It, it simply means that when we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. It's with a gracious spirit. 
But we must resist the urge to go after each other because we're family. We're people who have received the Father's love. And if we're going to love each other, then we need to resist that urge. So maybe a question we would, that would help us here is just to process. So I, is there anyone I need to go and apologize to that I just kind of I've undercut? I, I, I've wounded them. I've hurt them. Do we need to have that conversation? We need to resist that urge. Uh, Third thing John gives us here about how to love each other well, we'll pick it up in in verse 16. He says, well, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. What he's talking about here is, obviously, he's defining love. We know what the example, the model has been given to us of, of what this love looks like. It's Jesus giving up his life. And if you think about the cross, yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's what he's talking about. But don't discount the whole journey of Christ to the cross. Because while he laid down his physical life on the cross for us, which was a selfless act, He was daily living a a life that was characterized by a a new attitude. This this attitude of of valuing others more than himself. Paul gets this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What John is getting at by saying, consider Christ who laid down his life. He's saying, look, Christ had this attitude about himself. And so we want to possess that same attitude and pursue selflessness. And friends, we'll never lay down our physical lives unless we are already laying down our lives, so to speak. This, this selflessness, this, this is Peter. Peter saying, Jesus, you know, it doesn't matter. If everyone else walks away, I'm your guy. You can count on me. I'll take a bullet for you, Jesus. And the next day, he's disowning Jesus. He's, he's saying, I never met the man. See, see Peter, he's got this moment of glory in his mind. But the moment of glory comes as Jesus actually is. He's been doing this all along. Peter's saying, yeah, I'll throw my body on the grenade. I'll take the bullet for you, Jesus. But he's not ingrained this new ethos of the kingdom into his life where I look to the interest of others over my own interests. It's not that my interests are unimportant. It's not that I have less value. This is just the customs of the kingdom of God. We notice we have our radar up, our antenna up, for what is important to others, and we pursue that first. That's the ethos of the kingdom. And that's love. That's an expression of love. So, if we're going to embrace this command of loving one another, we need first need to receive. You can't, you can't give away what you haven't received. We've got to resist the urge to commit fratricide, to take pot shots at one another. And uh, we need to pursue selflessness. Consider the interests of others. 
also what that means is loving unconditionally and, and not saying, well, when, when they start getting their life in order and everything is right, then, then, I'll, then I'll love them. And if, if that's how Jesus loved, he, he never would have made it to the cross. Last thing that John points out to us as what real love looks like and how we can love one another. Verse um, 17, he gives an illustration of what this real love can look like. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. How do we love each other well? We receive the love of the Father, resist the urge to attack one another, pursuing a selflessness with humility, considering the, the interest of others above our own, and lastly, we tangibly express love. John happens to use the example of, of money and, and, and meeting a need, and that just, that's, that's one way. It happens. There's a lot of different ways that that, uh, that, that happens. Um, I want to get this because I think this really captures this. Uh, this, past, uh, this past month in October, uh, Doug and Anya Holcomb, who lead the way with Salem, Free Refugees, Salem for Refugees, um, that they, they lead this ministry that began here at Salem Alliance and helped start this nonprofit that um, helps those who are being resettled to Salem find housing and, and employment. And, um, you know, we've started businesses like, like Sparrow Furniture. And, um, and uh, as they've been doing this, people have been taking notice. Um, Willamette University, I think, I think it's Willamette that has been sponsored what's been called the Salem Peace Lectures now for 29 years. And at the Salem Peace Lectures, they hand out a Peacemaker Award. And they invited Doug and Anya to come uh, because they were nominated. And actually, uh, Doug and Anya, as leaders and representatives of many people who are involved in this ministry, uh, received the Peacemaker Award uh, from the Salem Peace Lectures for Salem for Refugees for their work in resettling people to, uh, here in, in, in our cities. And, um, and so here, here's what's happening. I don't know if you've heard this before, but we have a vision that our city would be a city at peace with God. And, and when peace and when love is tangibly expressed, people notice it. They notice it and they start connecting dots that this is good. Now, they may not know of our vision, but friends, think about it. One of, one, of the, one, of, one of our staff, I mean, our staff, one of our ministries that we're significantly involved with are other churches, and also, by the way, people who don't even go to church, that, that, that they were recognized and given a Peacemaker Award. Tangible love was expressed, and it was recognized. And, and, it, and while we, we must never compromise on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must, must not also compromise on demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we not only tell people, but we show people what this love looks like. And this is what John is getting after. Yes, we want to show this love and speak of this love to our community, but we must not forget one another either. And it's, it's phenomenal that, that this, this, this award was given. But friends, I was thinking about this week. You do this so well 
You, you express tangible love so very well. Some of you are at Grant Elementary School as a mentor. You're at Parish and you're serving there. Some of you are, are giving up your time to ministries here at Same Lines. Or maybe you're over at Salem Free Clinics. You're comforting someone who's, uh, who's lost a loved one. You're bringing a meal to someone uh, who's in crisis. You're meeting a financial need. You are loving on each other so very well. And I just want to say way to go because that's real love. Real faith is authenticated by a real love for one another and for God. And you are doing this so well. Thank you for demonstrating Christ's love. You're noticing it from each other and our city is noticing it. It's making a difference. And what John is saying, look, we need to have a discerning eye. And we want to make sure that we are a people whose faith is authenticated by this very same real love that Jesus possessed. We receive it. Perhaps the one thing that God might be saying to you today is, I just need to carve out time and let his love soak in. Because that's when breakthrough happens. It's have an experience with him. Experiences with him. That breakthrough comes. Maybe it's, I got, some, I got some things I need to make right with members of the family. Maybe it's, man, I, I, I want to walk in the way of Jesus who said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I want to grow in humility. That's something I need to pray about. Or maybe it's just noticing someone who has a need and perhaps realizing that I, I might have the means. I, might, I, I could make that meal. I could write that card of encouragement and tangibly expressing love. And friends, today we are going to remember the moment where Christ tangibly expressed his love for us. We're going to celebrate communion together. In a few moments, uh, stewards are going to come and they're going to be up here and, and um, we're, going to, we're going to do communion. By, and by the way, I know that some of you, this is not your favorite way to celebrate communion because it's chaotic and it's like I'm bouncing into people. And, um, and I just want you to know, that's actually pretty beautiful. That we would have a chance to get up out of our chairs and notice one another. And be reminded that we're family. That we could, as family, remember our Christ, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us. <laughs> And even as we, if we prepare our own hearts for that moment, there were some of you here who, here's an opportunity for you. This could be your first communion. This, this could be a moment where, where you allow the Father to lavish his love on you because you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never invited him to be the leader of your life. You've never invited him to forgive you of your shame and your guilt. And I want to invite you, as we're all coming, we're all going to be moving. So you could come first to the cross. There'll be people here who'd help you. Take a white ribbon, you write your name on it, and pound it on the cross. Your way of saying, God, I know I, know I don't measure up, and, and I believe that, that you sent your son Jesus, and he paid my sin debt. You ever had someone pay a debt off for you? Well, this is a massive debt. The sin, the sin is, it's massive. You, there's no way you and I could do this. 
But God sent his son so that sin debt could be paid for you. Would you come to the cross first, receive salvation, and then celebrate your first communion? And remember what the rest of us, this incredible moment when Jesus gave his life up for us, tangibly expressing love. The stewards will be here, and there'll be some bread, and there'll be the cup. Take the bread, and you dip it in the, in the cup, and take it back to your seat, and, um, and smile at one another as you're doing that. <laughs> Remember, he's, he's gone excessive in his love for you. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.